Welcome to the podcast that brings you interviews, reviews, arts and entertainment news, all wrapped up in one place. You're listening to Art to Art with Amani Mo. Coming up in this episode... We have a bumper edition of Filmmakers for you. I'm talking 2024 BAFTA and Oscar nominees. We've even got two-time Oscar winner, writer-director Alexander Payne on the pod. Thank you, Amani. Thank you. But go back to the part about loving my films. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's one of the biggest Oscar-winning films from Steven Spielberg, The Colour Purple, that's been reimagined for the big screen with a more, let's just say, musical tone. But is it really a musical? Well, actor Corey Hawkins is here to put us straight. I don't necessarily consider it a musical, right? Like, I consider it a this beautiful film with music. So people aren't just like, all right, let's just stop and like, do a big, you know, song and dance number. It's more sort of, it's who we are as a people, especially in black culture. If you loved your Fleabag TV series, and perhaps you even just fell in love with the actor Andrew Scott. Well, he's in a brand new movie, so don't miss my chat with writer-director Andrew Hay, whose new movie, All of Us Strangers, was filmed in his real childhood home. I think it was a weird thing to do, perhaps looking back at it, but it, it sort of made sense at the time. And stay tuned till the end of the pod. Klaxon alert! I'll be sharing news on just some of my upcoming guests on art to art So sit back wherever you may be in the world and enjoy the ride. You're listening to art to art with Amani Mo. And I'd love to have an art to art with you. First up on the movie's credits list, let's talk Oscar and BAFTA-nominated movie, The Holdovers. Set in the 70s, this movie is a battle of spirits, if you will, where three people have been dished out a bum deal over the Christmas holidays and end up riding out the storm together. Paul Giamatti and Divine Joy Randolph play the grumpy boarding school teacher and grieving mother, respectively, and both recently won Golden Globes for their performances. The third wheel in this story is a schoolboy with a whole lot of attitude who's having to stay at school rather than go home for the holidays. You stay out of my way and I'll stay out of yours. Did you hear that pressure cooker hissing? Mm Mm-hmm. But The Holdovers isn't all about the drama. It's a hilarious comedy too. It's directed by two-time Oscar-winning writer-director Alexander Payne. Now here's the bit where I tried to win him over and impress him with my brilliant Greek. Yes, I did say brilliant Greek. Kalimera, Kalispera, Ikeristo. Are you feeling it? Good morning, Imani. How are you? I'm very well, Alexander. How are you? I'm doing well. Kalimera. <laughs> Kalimera. <laughs> we met a very long time ago, I don't expect you to remember, on the red carpet at the London Film Festival for The Descendants. Mr Clooney was there. I remember being charmed by you and charmed by all of your films. Shucks. 
Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. I can't fail this class. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can. I love the reality, the humanity, the... It's the nuance, it's the small things, and I really, really, really embrace that as somebody that watches a lot of films. And I love your style as well. Thank you, Imani, thank you. But go back to the part about loving my films. <laughs> Let's just talk about loving your films forever. Every year at Barton Academy, students, faculty, and staff depart the campus for a two-week winter break. But there are always an unfortunate few who have nowhere to go for the holidays. They're known as the holdovers. Mr. Hunnam. Hello, Mary. I heard you got stuck with babysitting duty this year. How'd you manage that? You know, he used to be a student, right? Yeah, that's why he knows how to inflict maximum pain on us. There are so many wonderful films that you've made. It's the detail that I love. And The Holdovers is no different. So I want to start with that and also just say congratulations. Two of your cast members winning Golden Globes. You must be thrilled. I am. I'm very, very happy for them. Paul Giamatti, reuniting with him. Sideways has always had a special place in my heart. Um, I remember going to California just before that film came out and being really gutted and thinking, I could have done that trail, you know. <laughs> it's just wonderful to see you two reunite again. Thank you. We, we enjoyed it immensely. And we remain incredulous at the fact that uh, there was a 19-year gap between Sideways and the holdovers. We don't want that to happen again. I always have him in mind. I just think for me, he's, I just love him as an actor and he, how he can do dramatic things with humor and, and uh, comic things uh, with utter conviction. I just adore him. And we, in our working relationship uh, bears this out. The, we, there's very little discussion needed between us. He requires very little direction other than, you know, faster, slower, louder, softer. <laughs> You just earned yourself a detention, sir. Being here with you is already one big detention. Son of a bitch, that's another detention. Do you think I want to be babysitting you? No, I was praying your mother would pick up the phone or your father would arrive in a helicopter or a flying saucer. My father's dead. There are so many things I could say about just his character alone, but I want to get on to Dominic Sessa, who plays Angus in the film, because this is a three-hander, isn't it? Yes. Tell us about how you found him. And also, you know, as a director working with Paul Giamatti, very established actor where you probably don't really need to say a lot and divine joy of course who also is getting into her acting chops and then you've got this complete newbie what's your process alexander you've asked a couple different things first finding him after rejecting uh, 800 emailed submissions from around the english-speaking world the casting director and i pulled the trigger on a plan which we had had in mind to do anyway, which was to contact the drama teachers at the private boarding schools where I actually was going to be shooting and see who's rattling around in there. And lo and behold, there was Dominic Sessa, a senior at Deerfield Academy who had never before been in front of a camera, but who was a, a star in the drama club and was applying to university, you know, to acting programs in the university. He was on his way. And uh, it took a few auditions until I was convinced he could do the part. But then, man, what a discovery. He's, he's wildly talented and a good young man. And I'm, it's a win-win deal. He gets a career out of the deal and I get a, watchy, a watchable movie out of it. And then <laughs> sliding into your query about uh, working with Paul Giamatti, the very experienced and highly trained Paul Giamatti. It's a testament to Dominic's innate talent. 
that he could go toe to toe with Paul. And there I am as a director, suddenly with two actors who each of whom can sustain, say, four pages of dialogue in one take. And that allows me, you know, a cook is only as good as his or her ingredients. So then I, I, having Paul and Dom together, it was as though I had two highly seasoned actors before me. It was really neat. History is not simply the study of the past. It is an explanation of the present. See, when you say it that way and throw in some pornography, it's a lot easier to understand. (laughs) I'd like to propose a toast to my two unlikely companions. Are you trying to lift down my shirt? No. <laughs> yes. You're going to get me fired. The era that it set in, 1970. Why 1970? Did you have a lot of fun dressing up the locations and all the cost- incredible costume and that attention to detail that's required for something like this? I appreciate your question about uh, achieving a period effect in the film because we put so much work into it that it, should feel effortless, you know? Um, Yeah, so why 1970? Well, uh, the screenwriter and I knew that it had to be a period film because there are, for the simple fact that there are no more single-sex boarding schools in America, maybe one or two tiny all-girls schools somewhere, but but not not like the old days. So it had to be period, uh, probably post-war, uh, the 1950s is Peter Weir territory, you know, the, the Dead Poets Society, 60s. And somehow our mental Ouija board landed on 1970. <laughs> and I'm interested in films from that period. And it also gave the screenwriter the specter of the Vietnam War to have to kind of up the stakes of, of the proceedings and the characterizations. And then uh, before shooting, I made the decision for my creative collaborators and myself it's like well what if we what if we don't make a period film what if we make a contemporary film but pretending we're making it and working in 1970 and that's what we did and i i wanted the aesthetic of the film you know and the choice of locations and the production design and the costume to appear as banal and lived in had we been making a low budget film back then i I accuse many contemporary television shows and movies, contemporary ones that are showing period as being a little bit too uh, cartoony in in presentation of period. And it's supposed to draw you into the film, but winds up pushing me out. So I was very allergic to that. And uh, (laughs) in Massachusetts, we were able to find many locations which were relatively unchanged from 50 years ago. And then the production designer and the set uh, decorator had tremendous uh, talent. And we were unified in our aesthetic. But also, it's uh, Amani, it's like finding 150 boys, extras with the right hair. You know, that took time. <laughs> and then c- clothing them and finding period clothes that, that, you know, that don't look brand new, that are frayed. So it just, as I say, the... To make something look easy and effortless takes a lot of time. You absolutely nailed it. Congratulations. The film is beautiful, so funny, so heartfelt. And I'm wishing you all the best at the Oscars and the BAFTAs as well. Thanks very much. You're very kind. I've enjoyed our conversation. You don't tell a boy that's been left behind at Christmas that nobody wants him? What's wrong with you? There's nobody here, okay? You stay out of my way and I'll stay out of yours. Let me sleep. Now, most of the kids dislike you, pretty much hate you. 
teachers, too. You know that, right? I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common. I don't think I've ever had a real family Christmas like this before. Thank you, Mary. You've just heard my chat there with two-time Oscar winner, the writer-director Alexander Payne, with his latest movie, The Holdovers, out in cinemas now. Before I move on to the next movie, some of you will already know that I am a film critic, appearing regularly on BBC radio stations across the UK. Now, I just wanted to share some of my thoughts on The Holdovers. This movie is heartwarming and heartbreaking in equal measure, but the essence of the film, regardless of the pain that we see on the screen, is the fact that we can still find the humour and compassion in those darker moments. It's a wonderfully nuanced story with incredible performances, with two of the three leads, Giamatti and Randolph, getting Oscar nominations to boot. One thing about The Holdovers is it won't be what you're expecting. You're listening to Art to Art with Amani Mo. We aim to bring you the whole showbiz shebang from the arts and entertainment world. So I want you to tell me what's on your watch list. We're going to hear from writer-director Andrew Hay and find out what's on his. So come on, share a couple of things that you've been meaning to catch up on. And who knows, you might even be giving us all a top tip in the process. Feel free to find me on socials at Amani Mo, that's A M A N N Y M O, on Instagram or X, formerly known as Twitter. You can also drop me a line if you fancy it at art2artuk at gmail.com. That's art, the number two, artuk at gmail.com. to come in this episode of Art to Art. One of my all-time favourite movies, The Colour Purple, has been reimagined for the big screen, this time starring Fantasia Barino, Taraji P. Henson and Corey Hawkins, who's the actor I'll be having a chat with shortly. I love a challenge. I'm gonna step up to it if given the opportunity. And as this is Art to Art's first ever movies bumper edition, we'll be hearing from the movie everyone's been talking about. Yes, that's the BAFTA-nominated All of Us Strangers from writer-director Andrew Hay. Have you seen it yet? Let's get back to that movie colour... Oh, it's purple, right? Yeah, that one. The Oscar-winning original starred Whoopi Goldberg in the lead, which now has Fantasia Barino, except this time the story has a musical backbone of sorts. Don't keep me waiting! Set in the deep south in the early 1900s, there's racism, family drama, abuse, trauma, love, and more than that, there's hope. Here to tell us more about the film and his role as Harpo is the multi-talented actor all the way from Hollywood, Corey Hawkins, who you will have seen as Dr. Dre in the critical smash Straight Outta Compton. He starred in Lin-Manuel Miranda's musical In the Heights and also the tragedy of Macbeth alongside Denzel Washington. That's just to name but a few. How come you don't laugh none? Ain't you got something to make you just smile? My sister, 
and I ain't seen her in years. You know, if you ain't gonna laugh, you need to sell your footy bone. <laughs> oh. Hi, Corey. How are you doing? I'm great. I am wonderful. How are you? <laughs> well, I don't know how to top that. I'm wonderful too. There you go. <laughs> Good. And I'm also very excited to talk to you about this film because The Colour Purple, the movie's in my top five films of all time. Oh, yeah. I must have seen it probably at least 50 times, if not more. I've read the book Ooh. many, many times. Wow. So I'm a huge fan. Oh, good. And if I'm honest, I was really nervous about going to watch the film. <laughs> Understandably. But the thing is, I love musicals. So you've won me over already in that sense. So <laughs> I, I want to just talk to you very briefly about your choices because, you know, you've done quite an eclectic set of films, you know, from the tragedy of Mac Beth to In the Heights, which is a musical, of course, Black Klansman to Straight Out of Compton, quite different films and different genres there. And now The Colour Purple. So for you as an actor, do you enjoy that breadth of work? What kind of challenges or pressures come with each role? Well, thank you. Uh, uh, for, <laughs> I'm like looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, I have done those <laughs> It's quite different. Um, but yes, I enjoy it. And I only hope to continue crafting and building characters and roles that are completely, you know, of course, there'll be overlap, <laughs> you know, but but yeah. I enjoy characters that you really have to lean into, you know, characters where you have to get behind the eyes and understand them a little bit more. Um, it forces you to ask or, or see slightly different facets of that person or that character than you might have thought after reading the book. Sophia, I mean, don't you go no further. I'm going. I'm gonna put my foot down. Well, what that foot supposed to do? I thought I bet it won't walk over me. Howdy, man. Is Mr. around? Oh, no. He at the L house. Hey. No, no, he yeah. Sophia! Someone was just saying, you know, they, they did not like Harpo uh, in, in the book. And, and I understood that. I was like, and you're right to, in, if, if that's your takeaway from, the, from Alice Walker's novel. Um, and then seeing the movie, it changed that, you know? And I think that's just, for me, something that I lean into because I think Harpo is an empath. He's a nuanced character. He is somebody who is quiet, you know, as opposed to his the love of his life, Sophia. And you have to find that balance, right? You have to find a, a man who's okay to step out of the way and let his woman lead the way, you know, sometimes, which reexamines masculinity, which is, is uh, which shows us new ways of loving and love. And in this version, exploring the love between a father and a son, Mr. And, and, you know, this son who's also been abused. And so I think his quietness comes from that and his strength also comes from that. And so he makes a choice to break that trauma. And so that's why for me, Harpo was fun. And then also I get to sing. I'm I like, know, what? you know, Corey. I get to, could, you know, <laughs> let that out a little bit more. That is amazing. <laughs> and also the fact that obviously the love of your life, Sophia, is played by the brilliant Danielle Brooks, who yes, yes, has yes. been in the musical, of course. So what was it like? Well, firstly, singing and then also working with her because she has got quite an intimidating, amazing <laughs> singing voice as well. Um, well, first of all, um, 
Blitz, uh, I remember we were all, everybody was on the Zoom and it's like the very first read through that we were doing of the film and we were all on the lot and Oprah's on Zoom and Spielberg's on Zoom and Quincy Jones on Zoom and everybody's there. Oh gosh, and right I'm, before, I'm sweating already thinking about Exactly, <laughs> Blitz uh, comes in with a, a song that ultimately ends up being Harpo's work song, right? Oh. But, and at that point, <laughs> was not like we, but I loved it. And he came in literally five minutes before, maybe 10 minutes before, and he was like, Corey, you know, I'm thinking about this, here, here listen to this kind of demo, because he's also a musician, so he's like, listen to this demo, see if you like it, but I want you to sing it in the read through, go. I was like, what? <laughs> Bruh. I'm like, come on, man. But I was also grateful because I love a challenge. Look, I, I, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm a step up to it if, if, if given the opportunity. And it made it into the film and, and became a huge part of who Harpo is and the dancing and all of that as well. Um, but Harpo, his counter, you know, or his partner in this film is Sophia. And that's played by Daniel Brooks, who played it in the Broadway the, the second time it, it, it remounted on Broadway, the musical. Tell him who he is, Harpo. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Pa, Grampy, gents, I want to introduce y'all to my girl. <laughs> this here, Sophia. Mm. A lot of woman. <laughs> Who's kidding you, gal? <laughs> you seem like trouble. Oh, no, sir. I'm one of August's butler's daughters. No trouble at all. Just big. <laughs> Danielle and I were classmates at Juilliard. Oh, wow. So it was just like kismet. Like, it was just like, how in the world did this end up happening? And, and Danny and I, I mean, I think we met back in 2006, 2007. We went through school together, did theater together. We worked together at school. So like, it was, that chemistry was already there. So we just, I remember when I got the phone call from Scott Sanders, he was like, you know, we've all talked and we, we want you to be our heart, bro. I was like, Oh my God, I'm like freaking out, freaking out. I remember hanging up the phone and calling him right back. And I was like, <laughs> please, if there is, if, if, cause I think at that time I might've been the, one of the first people cast and they were starting to build the, sh the, the film. And, and I was like, please, Daniel Brooks, Daniel Brooks, Daniel Brooks. I want to be her Harpo. Like if you just, you know, take do whatever you do with that. Y'all know y'all have a process, <laughs> but let me just, I'd be remiss if I didn't say it, you know? So that's how we ended up. Here where we are. I ain't gonna let you marry my son cause you in the family way. Petty guy like you can take his mind, but you can't have his money. He ain't got no money. See, my sister and her husband say I can live with them as long as I please. Now I come here out of respect. But if there ain't none to get, that show ain't none to get. Oh, Sophia, come on. Oh, let's get on up and wait for him. Come and sugar don't let don't you move a muscle. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a massive fan of the book and I've watched the film so many times I could almost recite every word <laughs> in it. Um, <laughs> and But a part of me really had to let go of everything that I knew previously and everything I love about, you know, the film. And that's not to say that this musical the color purple doesn't incorporate that there's lots of really strong points you know from both of the book and the um spielberg film but i wondered yes, you know yeah. how would you kind of say to people that are like mm, i'm not sure don't like musicals you know there's always one person that says that in the group <laughs> yeah and also what was the most important note you got from oprah and mr spielberg 
first of all, to people who, you know, want to see this movie, I mean, you just don't want to be the one person who doesn't see the movie. How about that? You know, <laughs> fair enough. Everybody's going to see the film. Everyone's going to be talking about it uh, because I just think this cast and, and the work and the strength of it is so strong. The legacy of The Color Purple is so strong. And a lot of people are going to want to understand people who don't know the original movie, people who don't know the novel are going to want to know what this thing is about. And they will see very soon as soon, you know, when they when they when they watch the film. And then also this thing I say with with musicals, this isn't it's interesting because I don't necessarily consider it a musical. Right. Like I consider it a this beautiful film with music. Right. For me, song comes out when, uh, you know, when when the words aren't enough. So people aren't just like, all right, let's just stop and like do a big, you know, song and dance number. It's more sort of, it's who we are as a people, especially in black culture. You know, song is a, a part of that. And the gospel tradition is a part of that. You keep your head held high, just like mom taught us. Whatever I say, go. You got to stay up. Hell no. We sing. I mean, I, I'm singing on the way, you know, when I'm running this morning or like on the way <laughs> to talk to you or like, you know, just humming or, or whatever that is. But it's a it's a huge part of people smile and laugh to keep from crying. You know, the trauma and, and all of that that we've gone through. And so it's it's a natural progression. It's not anything jarring for people who don't like musicals or anything. It's joy is, is what it is. And. Uh, I will say Oprah, you know, she was there quite a bit and she's just been such a support, but I appreciate it because like I was saying, Harpo for me, it's, it's, it's all about nuance. And, you know, she was just talking about in how his smallest moments in this version, you know, in his smallest moments, he, he shines, you know, because he sort of, he's selfless, you know, him and Sophie always arguing, they always going back and forth, you know, out of love. And then the next minute they're, you know, madly in love with each other and then they arguing again. And then, you know, it's life. Uh, and I think the audience leans into that a lot. They identify with, you know, with these two lovebirds and that's great. Yeah. And honestly, it's absolutely amazing. I really want to see it again already. So congratulations on the film, Corey. You're amazing in it. The whole cast is fantastic. And and I'm sure people will enjoy it over here, especially that we haven't seen the musical in the same way that you have experienced it in the States. But thank you very much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Imani. Appreciate it. I was married to a man I didn't love. Whatever I say, go. And he took my sister away from me. Even if we have to part, you and me, us, us have, have one heart. You so nice. Don't move. Maybe you too nice. Oh, isn't he lovely? The warm, very friendly actor there, Corey Hawkins, talking about his role as Harpo in the long-awaited remake of The Color Purple, which is out in cinemas now. 
I have to say, I wasn't sure about this movie to begin with, especially when I saw it the first time. But then I saw it for the second time about four weeks later, and I realised that it's a surefire hit. Whether you like a musical-style film or not, it doesn't really matter. The fact is, it's stunning to look at. It's a fantastic ensemble cast, with Danielle Brooks as a standout performance, let alone that singing voice. She's garnered herself an Oscar nod for the movie. The film will leave you feeling happy, sad, mad, glad, and well look, it's just a roller coaster of emotions. Go and see it for yourself. You're listening to Art to Art with Amani Mo, and you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Please do like, follow us, and share the love with your friends. You can find me on socials at Amani Mo, that's A-M-A-N-N-Y-M-O, on Instagram or X, formerly known as Twitter. Still to come, the multi-BAFTA-nominated writer-director Andrew Hay will be talking us through all of our strangers... I'll be sharing just a little teaser of some of my upcoming guests. Artists like the singer who was previously in Maloko, Roisin Murphy, and, wait for it, Oscar-nominated actor Jeffrey Wright. That's some guest list. And don't forget, there's a slow jam from my amazing nephew, Luca, in a segment we call Nef Jam right at the end of the pod. Now it's currently peak awards season in the film world. And of course, Amani Mo, yeah, that's me, referring to herself in the third person, has to have her fingers in all the popcorn and the nachos and anything else I can get my hands on. Yet in this bumper edition of the pod, we've heard earlier from two-time Oscar-winning writer-director Alexander Payne, Hollywood actor Corey Hawkins, and now it's time to go full-on British with new movie All of Us Strangers, a stunning adaptation by Alexander Andrew Hay. The film stars Fleabag's Andrew Scott as a writer who's still grieving the death of his parents, and this deeply emotive drama covers themes of loneliness, grief, and being a gay man with relationship phobias. Until, that is, there's a chance encounter with a gorgeous neighbour played by Paul Mescal. I won't say any more than that. No spoilers on this podcast. Hell no! I caught up with the writer-director of All of Us Strangers, Andrew Hay, whose film is nominated for six BAFTAs to find out a little bit more about the story that's seemingly very close to his own heart. Hello. Hi. Saw you looking at me from the street. I'm assuming you're not with anyone. Never see you with anyone. I actually have a confession for you. I was there at the Q&A at BAFTA back in December. But I think when I saw all of our strangers, I was left reeling 
I'm not sure I took in all of the Q&A just because my brain was in overdrive. What an incredible film. Congratulations on your six BAFTA nominations. Oh, thank you very much. And I'm both sorry I left you reeling and also quite pleased about it exactly at the same time. <laughs> well, quite honestly, you did your job. So that that's the good thing about it. I wanted to ask you about the original material first off and the novel that the story is based on by Taichi Yamada. What was it about the particular this particular novel that made you want to adapt it to the big screen? And tell us about some some of the things you had to consider to make all of our strangers your own effectively in the original novel which is much more of a traditional ghost story even sort of verges towards a horror story but there was this central idea which is obviously the central idea of the movie too where this lonely screenwriter goes back to his childhood home and comes across his parents again who have been dead for 30 years but they look exactly as they did when they died so now they're the same age as him now somehow that idea just set my mind like on fire the idea of being able to uh, have a reunion not only just with someone that you've lost and loved but also a reunion with your own past and your own sense of self felt like it opened up a world of storytelling for me and then for me to make it personal you know the story is set in it's set in Tokyo and of course I wanted to set this in the UK and we have a different understanding of ghosts and understanding of haunting so I sort of asked myself okay what haunts me as an adult what is the thing that that, that is that is in my life that feels like it's, it's always there haunting me from the edges. And so that was sort of my starting point. And I wanted to turn it into a queer love story at the heart of it as well, whereas in the novel it's a, uh, a heterosexual love story. And then it sort of unfolded into becoming what the film is now. Is this your mum and dad? Yeah. They died just before I was 12. I'm trying to write about them at the moment. I don't often want to watch films more than once but I feel that it's necessary to see this movie, All of Us Strangers, at least twice, Andrew, because it's brilliantly told. It's just so beautiful and heartbreaking. And the themes, of course, really strong, as you mentioned, some of them there, you know, love and loss, loneliness and acceptance as well. Would you say that this is one of your most personal films to date? Yeah, it's definitely the most personal film I think I've, I've I've ever made. And I wanted it to feel like it can be so many things to so many people at the same time. So it could be quite specific about this uh, character's experience of growing up at a certain time in the 80s and losing his parents and, and trying to move forward. But also that it really did tap in to so many complicated universal uh, things that we all have to experience love and loss and loneliness and pain and 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 regret and all of those really really heady things that we have to deal with every day you know we all have to experience that and I always do feel like you know at the heart of all of us we're all a little bit broken we are broken <laughs> yeah. souls trying to make our make our way through the world and we're not very good at admitting that sometimes and so I wanted to make a really compassionate film that could speak to all of that pain that we deal with I suppose but do it in a way that made us feel more connected to each other rather than more separated. Hi. Hi. Is this real? Does it feel real? Our boy's back home. Our son. Look at you. You were just a boy. Now you're not. It was a long time ago. Yeah, I don't think that matters. 
what were your emotions? What did it evoke in you when you started shooting this movie, All of Us Strangers, in your old home? I think it was a weird thing to do, perhaps looking back at it, but it, <laughs> it sort of made sense at the time. Like, I, yeah, I lived in Sanderstead, which is just near Croydon, you know, until I was about the age of nine and we moved away at nine. So it was about going back to my own past. And I think as I was approaching the story and I was writing about a character that goes back to his childhood home, I could not get my own childhood home out of my head. Every time I was thinking about a scene or thinking about how to, to direct a scene or write the scene, so I just thought it made sense to try and shoot there. And it was emotional and it was strange. And going back there and shooting scenes in my parents' old bedroom and in my old bedroom and around where we used to have our Christmas tree when we were kids, it was unusual and uh, emotional and cathartic. Like when I left the house after filming and I shut the door, I was like, okay, I'm done with that now. I don't ever have to go back, but I'm quite glad I did go back. And we can't not talk about the protagonist, Andrew Scott, amazing in this movie. As are all the cast, you know, you've got Claire Foy and Jamie Bell, also Paul Mascal. Was Andrew always kind of penned for this role, the role of Adam? Yeah, so I didn't think of him when I was writing it. I never do think of actors when I'm writing. I somehow need to put myself into all of the characters as I'm writing rather than putting actors into those characters but then when it came to casting Andrew was the first person on our list and the top of our list and the first person we went to and you know what it's just a gut feeling like obviously I'd seen his work before uh, I knew he was an incredibly talented actor I knew there was a subtlety to how he performs and I, I always find that really really interesting and then sitting down and talking to him he just understood that character so well he understood what that character was going through had gone through and what he needed needed from his life and so it, I felt like it was just uh, a, it was a no-brainer I had to it had to be him really <laughs> and when I watch the film now I just can't imagine anybody else ever doing that role which is a really good sign you know you've made the right choice when you can't imagine anybody else playing that role yeah and I think this is definitely his role of a lifetime so far I think he's really nailed it and there are beats there that allow you to breathe as somebody that's watching taking you know all of that emotion as well I've always felt like a stranger in my own family I'm always scared of something always running away do you remember sorry I never came in your room when you were crying Funny, it doesn't take much to make you feel the way you felt back there again. Finally, Art to Art is my podcast and I just wondered, we always ask our guests, what's on your watch list? So these are things, this is the to-do list of your entertainment world. So it could be a podcast, a book that you've got written down that you need to read, any of those things, something you're dying to watch, a film. So what, Andrew, is on your watch list? This is... Maybe not very highbrow, but I am pretty addicted to watching The Traitors, which is terrible <laughs> because I feel like I should come up with like, yeah, I have War and Peace on my shelf that I haven't read and I want to read that. But I am really enjoying that. But, you know, there's always a pile of books uh, on my on my desk that I still have not got to and need to read. And there's always movies that I haven't caught. Uh, there's fantastic movies from this year that I still am waiting to see. Oh, like what? Um, Give us one name of a film that you haven't seen yet. Actually, I'll give you a, a film that I've seen once, which is Anatomy of a Fall, and I want to watch it again because I love that film so much. So if you haven't seen Anatomy of a Fall, I would, I would definitely try and watch that film. I think it's a brilliant film with an incredible performance by Sandra Hulu at the centre of that film. Uh, so 
So I would definitely, if you've not seen that film, go and see that film. And also go and see All of Us Strangers. Yes, and go and see All of Us Strangers too. <laughs> yeah, go and see that film. That's the film you should watch. <laughs> I love it. Andrew, what a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'd always fall in love. This is a new feeling. You and me together. Into the world. And that was writer-director Andrew Hay. Look at him sharing his brilliant watch list with us. His movie is called All of Us Strangers, starring Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal. Take some tissues to cry into ops. I was absolutely bowled away by this movie. The silences, the quiet just leaves you plugging the gaps with your own thoughts and emotions about love and loss. It's absolutely stunning. The acting sublime and All of Us Strangers is a must-see movie. You're listening to art to art with me, your host, Amani Mo. It's almost time to hear what the Nef Jam has in store for us at the end of the pod, but for now, I just wanted to let you know the kind of guest list you'll be hearing over the coming weeks. So, can I get a say what for the goddess former Maloko singer Roisin Murphy? get a hell no the British actress Joanne Froggart will be taking us back to the pando with a brand new mind-blowing TV series called Breathtaking and what about an absolute you can't be serious for actor and justice for Windrush activist Colin McFarlane but hang on oh there's one other guest that I wanted to tell you about oh yeah okay wait for it the one, the only, first-time Oscar-nominated actor, Jeffrey Wright. Yes, I did say that. Will be joining me to talk about American fiction. It is simply divine. So that's it for another podcast, but fear not, another is being masterminded as we speak. Please give us the thumbs up at Amani Mo, that's A-M-A-N-N-Y-M-O on socials and share your love for the podcast if you're enjoying it. It's time for our musical outro with my rather fabulous nephew, Luca. We've given it a name and why not? It's called Nef Jam. But for this episode of the podcast, I'm going to call it Slow Jam. If you like the jam, feel free to check out Luca on socials. It's just at Lucamo Music.
huge thanks to all of my wonderful guests in this podcast. Oscar winner Alexander Payne, BAFTA-nominated writer-director Andrew Hay, and all the way from Hollywood, (laughs) Mr. Corey Hawkins, who plays Harpo in The Colour Purple. Thanks, too, to Luca Moe for the art-to-art titles and incidental music. But more importantly, a heartfelt cheers to you for listening and supporting my podcast. There'll be more arts and entertainment shenanigans coming your way soon. Until next time, see ya! You're listening to Art to Art with Amani Mo. This is your podcast that brings you interviews, reviews, arts and entertainment news, all wrapped up in one place.